This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, it's so good to be with you tonight. I'm excited. Josh Phillips is with us tonight. Josh, uh, for, for, what was it, seven years? Eight years, pastored a phenomenal church, Memorial Baptist, which is in Norwood, North Carolina. Um, and recently, beginning, actually end of last year, moved to Myrtle Beach, campus pastor at the Rock Church. Josh and I have been friends for years. Um, we, we get to send each other, you know, stupid, encouraging text messages on Sunday morning. Uh, you know, really thoughtful stuff like, praying for you, bro. Me too. Okay? That kind of stuff. Because, you know, pastors don't have time for that on Sunday morning. All right? But, but he's, what's really amazing is Josh, you know, pastored this really great uh, traditional church. And now is, how many of y'all can feel this, in a portable environment? Moving in and out every week in a school. And, uh, and loving it. Super thankful for him being here tonight. So would you welcome uh, my friend Josh? What's up? It only took me eight years to get here, right? I lived 15 minutes away. He never called me to come preach. I moved three hours away. I hadn't been living there four weeks. And dude says, hey, man, you want to come preach one Wednesday night? Could have done that eight years ago and saved me a whole lot of money. But hey, nevertheless, we're here. Dude, y'all sound wonderful. Y'all sound wonderful. Kevin said it was just going to be a really, really cool atmosphere, and it is. Um, and kudos to you, man. If you're a part of the setup team on Sunday mornings, I, I can empathize with you now. Uh, it's a whole new world, mobile church. Uh, we live out of two trailers. I guess that's Monday through Saturday, and unpack them jokers on Sunday, only to pack them back up because the school's kicking us out because other things. And Horry County, if y'all know anything about Horry County, Myrtle Beach, all that, it's a whole different world, man. Um, there's like a million things going on at the school while we're going on at the school. A couple of weeks ago, we're in the auditorium having worship, and over in the left side, there is a dance competition going on. So when you come in the, I guess, the foyer area, the setup area, and the greeting area, we have our connect corner over here, right, where we're inviting people, come by, connect, we want to get to know you. And, and I come in, and there's hairspray, and there's um, curling irons, and I'm like, y'all got to get over, this is, this is our part of the world. But it's amazing. Here's what, what, what I want to kind of land, though. It's amazing to see what God will do in our life when we only submit to Him. Whether we like it or not, whether it's how we would have scripted the story, it's amazing to just walk in a sense of obedience. I don't know about you, but I would imagine that every one of us at some point in our life have probably asked the question, what am I going to be when I grow up? I'll be honest with you, when I was young growing up, I was headed straight for the National Football League. No doubt. I really didn't have a secondary plan. A ministry definitely wasn't that. But here I am now, right? God has a sense of humor. But I was headed to the league, man. And um, 
As I began to work through life, I soon discovered that that wasn't what it is. So I have two boys, 21 and 13. Um, my 13-year-old, when he was younger, I was like, hey, buddy, what you want to be when you grow up? He said, Daddy, I want to be a trash truck. I said, um, oh, you want to drive a trash truck? He was like, no, no, I want to be the trash truck. And I'm like, bro, I don't think it works like that. Who would have known dude's prophetic? Now you can, you can just say you want to be it, and you can be it, right? I mean, dude said it 13 years ago, and it happens today, right? So he can just walk around. What are you? I'm a trash truck. So, but we've all been there before, right? And then you graduate from high school or maybe you graduate from college and then whether it's your parent or your grandparent or that sweet little dear lady in your life that really asks the question and they're, they're, really, they're really probing at you and they're really basically saying you are going to get a job, right? But the question is, so what are you going to do now? You graduated high school, you graduated college, get out the house, pay your own bills. But then as life begins to, to happen, right? We hit the, the midlife. Some of you are in that midlife area now. I'm 46, and I hadn't gotten there yet. I hadn't hit the crisis yet. I'm ready for it because I see what some of y'all do when you hit the crisis, man. You get, like, convertibles and all kind of stuff. And so I'm thinking I'm, I'm setting myself up for that. But when we get to the midlife, we often ask the question, really, am I doing anything significant now? And then ultimately what the aim in life is, we seek and we make it to retirement. And in all honesty, for some of you who are there, even you know somebody, it's almost like it's full circle. We come back and we ask ourselves the question, what am I going to do now? So it's like I start asking myself this question, what am I going to do with my life? And I go through phases and I go through stages and then I land almost at the end or the backside of the careers of life. And I'm there again and I ask myself, what am I going to do? So the reality of it is it doesn't matter where you are in the room. You would say, I'm a student still trying to figure life out. Or you would say, I'm a senior adult and I'm retired. Every single one of us are still asking ourselves the question at time, what can I really do? Because ultimately we want to do something that matters, right? I want to make... A difference. I've also kind of discovered that it's interesting how varying generations view money or making money. There's a generation of you in here that you, you worked hard to earn money so that inevitably you could take the resources, the money that you had, and make a difference with those resources. Whether it was given to a nonprofit or given to a parachurch group or, or given to a church or just trying to find somebody because you want to take the funds that you have, the resources that you have, and you want to invest. You want to make a difference. But here's what I've discovered with like the millennials and Gen Z. It's almost like they're bored with the concept of money. And it's not so much that I want to earn the money though that I can make the difference. I just want my life to make a difference in somebody else's life. And so we teeter-totter with that back and forth. We, we go with, what am I going to do? And, and how am I going to do it? And in essence, we begin that battle. It becomes a constant battle in our life. And so here's where I want to land. I'm going to read a verse, but let me just make a statement and kind of set us up with where we're going. Regardless of the scope of life, regardless of where you've landed in life, here's what I'm asking. Just don't waste it. Don't waste your life. If you're on the front side of it, you're a part of Gen Z, man, and you're still trying to figure it out, 
figure it out, but just don't waste it. If you're in the middle and you're trying to ask yourself the question, am I doing anything that is significant? As you're wrestling with that question, as you're battling that question, just, just don't waste it. If you're on the backside of things now, maybe you're entering into retirement. You've been there for a couple of years and the question is still for you. Just don't waste it. And I've, I've landed here. The best way for you and I not to waste life, regardless of where we are in life, is to make sure that we're following him. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 16, verses 24, 25, and 26. Jesus said this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You want to find life, lose life, but just don't waste it. And he goes on and he says this, for what will a profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he forfeits his soul? What do you gain, sir? What do, you, do you really win at the end of the day if you amass all of these things, but you wasted your life? Have you really, really won? And here's what I think is extremely interesting. We contrast the disciples in Mark chapter 1. Jesus comes. He's walking on the seashore, Mark 1, 16 through 20. And he sees them and he says, here, guys, Give up everything. Put your boat to the side. Cast, get rid of your nets and do what? Follow me. And what did they do? They found life. They didn't waste their life because what did they do? They followed him. Contrast that with Mark chapter 10. We find this guy who's running to Jesus. He seems all um, rich and, and young and potentially a ruler. And he runs to Jesus and he asks this penetrating question. He asks the right question. What do I need to do? Because I, I'm looking for eternal life. He falls at the feet of Jesus. He asks the question. And Jesus says what? Basically, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. But what does the Bible say? He walks away sad. Grieve. Jesus said, sell all of that and do what? Follow me. The disciples said, I've got it. The rich young ruler said, I ain't going to do it. The disciples said, we don't want to waste our life. But the rich young ruler said, I, I think I'll just waste my life. I want to spend a little bit of time in Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, there are three parables. But it's important to understand this first. Before we really get Matthew chapter 25, so this is deep, you ready? Matthew chapter 24 comes before Matthew chapter 25. Y'all got that, right? I just want to make sure. Because it's really important. Uh, context is king. I need to know what's going on. So think about this. Matthew chapter 24, it's a passage to where Jesus basically says, um, I'm going to come back. Then we transition into chapter 25 where we find three parables. But here's the question. In chapter 25, all three parables, how are you living in light of chapter 24? In light of the fact Jesus said, I'm coming in chapter 24, I'm coming back. How are you living now in chapter 25? Um, on occasion, my wife will have to be out of town. I don't like it when my wife's out of town. I like it when everybody is in the house. I like it when, so I, I told you I had two boys. My oldest son just got engaged. Um, and so uh, I now have five people in the house. I come home the other day, 
and my, I guess, daughter-in-law, is that right? My soon-to-be daughter-in-law is laid up on my couch watching television. I'm like, ain't you got a house? What you doing in my house? I'm not ready to pay your bills yet. Go to your house. Let your pre- but the reality of it is there are times that she has, to, she has to be gone. She is a travel agent. She also um, coordinates our Kids Rock ministry. So every now and then, not too often, she's away. But when my wife is away, I don't live like I don't have a wife. Even though she may not be with me physically in that moment, I still live like I have a wife. I still live like I'm married. In fact, I want to make sure that everything in the house is in order so when my wife gets home, I'm not in trouble. So Matthew chapter 25 is Jesus is gone. Matthew chapter 25 is how you're living with me not being here. And so there are three parables, three questions. Number one is this, are you ready for me to come back? Number two, how are you serving the Lord, the master, while I'm gone? And how are you serving other people? while I'm gone. And I want to dive into the second parable that Jesus teaches here. And I want to ask one big, give you one big statement here. I'm just going to roll through it real fast. Because here's what the parable that, the parable of the talents is going to teach us is that God has invested in you. Look at me real fast. You are an investment. God has invested in you. And now here you and I are, what are we going to do with the investment? God has invested in you. He's invested in me. Now what are we going to do about it? Listen to this. Matthew chapter um, 25. Let me read verse number 14. And Jesus says, for it will be like a man going on a journey. Now real fast, the it references the kingdom of heaven. He spoke about that previously in the first parable that he told. It's, it's something that Matthew does a lot. In fact, if you read the Gospel of Matthew, he does it 30 times. But the whole concept of the kingdom of heaven references that, that spiritual realm in which where, where Jesus lives, where the Lord lives. And so here's what he's talking about, that this whole concept, the, the kingdom of heaven, this is what it looks like. It's like a man who goes on a journey And he calls his servants, and he entrusted to them his property. So put it together. Chapter 24, he's he's gone. And on the journey that he goes away, he calls his servants, and he says, "Here's, um, here's a little bit of property. I'm entrusting you with a little bit. I'm entrusting you with a little bit. I'm giving you a little bit. In other words, the master is investing in his servants. He's giving them a little bit of responsibility, giving them a sense of uh, an investment in their life. Watch what verse 15 says. So to one of them, he gave five talents. To another, he gave two. And then to another, he gave one, each according to to his ability. Now let me pause real fast. I read from the English Standard Version. So when you see the word talents, don't think ability. Don't think like a a skill set. A talent like somebody who can play the drums or somebody who can sing or somebody who can play a sport. Think money. 
resource. In other words, the master is going away. And the kingdom of heaven is like this master who goes away. And he invests in his servant to do something while he's gone. So think of the talent as a resource to showcase your ability. How about that? It's a resource that's been given to you so that you can showcase your ability. And here's what I believe. Every single one of us have been given some type of a talent. I would say in this room right here, some, and this isn't to be mean, this is just honest. Some of us are given five talents. Some of us are given two talents. Some are given one talent. But the reality of it is everybody in the room has been given some kind of talent. He does the very same thing for each one of us. Now look at verses 16 through 18. And the Bible says this, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. And so also who had the two talents made two talents more. But here's the conjunction, but. He who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So think about it. Put it together. The master takes time to invest in his servants. One servant says, okay, I have five talents and I'm going out and I'm going to use those. I don't want to waste them. I'm going to use these talents because ultimately we're investing in the master. The next guy is given two talents. He goes and he invests his two talents and he reaps a benefit. So you have two who invested, chose not to waste it, a harvest that was reaped. But the problem is one took the talent and hid it. One took the talent, the resource, the investment that was made in their life, dug a hole and put it in the ground. We're not responsible for how many talents are given to us. But we are responsible for what we do with the talents that are given to us. I, I, listen, I don't get to determine who's a five talent, two talent, one talent person. That's the master's job. Each is given how? According to his ability. But what we are responsible for is what do we do with the talents, with the resources that have been invested with us. It becomes extremely self-penetrating right here. Because if I had to make a guess, some of you, you've been given a resource, but you're wasting it. Maybe you didn't literally go and dig a hole and put it in the ground somewhere. But you're not using whatever that resource is to invest in the master's kingdom. In fact, you're a lot like this person who goes, digs a hole, you squandered it is basically what you've done. And here's the problem with that. Listen to what the verse says, verse number 19. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and he settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more. And verse number 22. And he who had received two talents came forward, and he delivers two more talents. Verse 24. 
He also, who had received the one talent, came forward and he said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And so I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what's yours. It's interesting because two are commended and one is condemned. Two hear these words, great job. You did exactly what I wanted you to do. You didn't waste what I gave you. But one of them hears you're wicked and you're slothful. Now, I don't want to insult anybody's intelligence. But I'm going to go on a limb here. And I would say unanimously here, the goal the longing, the yearning, the craving is for us to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Nobody in their right mind would say, I sure hope I get called wicked and slothful. Nobody's going to say that. But lean in, look at her, lean in. Do you realize that you control that? Three investments all three were given the ample same equal same opportunity two chose to invest i'm not wasting my life i want to do something that matters i want to take the resources the master has invested in my life and i want to see his kingdom go forward one guy says it's not going to happen and he's condemned And he's not condemned for what he did. He's condemned for what he didn't do. He basically said, it's it's not going to do it. And the problem that you and I have got to pretty much ask ourselves, or the question that you and I have to ask ourselves is, what am I doing with the resources? Now, this becomes the, um, the participation. You can, you can flex just a little bit, and you can talk back to me here. Um, I'm used to getting talked back to. Not so much at church, but as much as at home, if you know what I'm saying. Thank God for the dog. If the dog could talk, I guess the barking is basically the dog talking back too. So feel free to interact here with me a little bit. Can we agree? And I promise I'm not trying to set you up to fail. I'm going to throw you some softballs. You got it. Can we agree... This is a parable. Everybody on the same playing field, right? This is a parable. A parable is simply an earthly story that has a deeper meaning. We don't know for sure that this really happened from an earthly perspective, an earthly point of view. So what happens is Jesus is telling this story, but he's got a greater meaning that he's trying to drive home. So everybody in the house agrees this is a parable. Now, in the parable, if we assign roles, Jesus is the master. We're his servants. Everybody's still good. Nobody's ready to check out on me yet. So we're all on the same page. In the parable, the master gives resources. Everybody on the same page still. Would you say that the resources, the talents, that the master, Jesus, gives to the servants me or you would you say those are good gifts I would say so here's my point 
James said, look right here. James said, every good and perfect gift is from above. So if, lean in with me, if, if you've been given a resource, you've been given a talent, and you don't manage it well, you don't use the investment that God has given to you, then in essence, you're questioning His goodness and His decision-making process. You, you said it. Every good and gift from above, you agreed. The master in the parable gave good gifts. The master is Jesus. You and I, we're the servants. We're the recipients of it. So you're sitting on your, your investment? You're sitting on your talent? So I'm not going to use it? Then what you've said is, God messed up. You're saying, God made a mistake. I'm convinced that God doesn't make mistakes. I'm convinced that we're just not using the resource. I'm convinced that we're just not taking serious His investment in our life. So big statement is this. God has invested in you. He's given you a talent. He's given you a resource. Five, two, one. I got no idea what it is. But just don't waste it. He's invested in you. And here's my question I want you to kind of marinate on. Where are you investing for Him? He's invested in you, so where are you investing in Him? Sometimes I get it. Sometimes it can sound a little risky and a little scary when we start talking about investing. We can think of it from the, the economic side of it, right? I, I am not a risky person. I don't like it. I just can't do it. Now, my wife's all about taking a risk, and I'm like, no, no, right? That's why I don't play the lottery. You play the lottery. I don't care if you want to play the lottery. The reality of it is more people lose than win. If I don't give the $5, I don't know how much a ticket costs. If I don't give the $5 for my ticket, guess what? I didn't lose $5. Now, some of you are like, well, I played one time and I won like all this. That's you, man. I'm just not a risk taker, okay? But sometimes when we take the investment that the master has given to us to invest it back for him, that's risky. That's really risky. Sometimes we play the safe game. And we do like old boy here, we go dig a hole, we put that investment right there because it's easier. But when we sit on it, we're wasting that part of life and the kingdom's not moving forward. The investment that's been made in me, man, I so want to reciprocate that back into a kingdom that is so much greater than who I am or anything that I could ever put together. I want to take the investments that the master has made in me. And when he comes back and checks in and say, how's it going? I want to say, man, I took the, the resources that you gave me. And I so used them for your kingdom and for your glory. It is risky. I get it. But look at right here. The only way to fail 
is just not use the gift that's been given to you. If you take it, and you can be as scared as you want to be, you can be like, God, I don't, I don't really know how this is going to turn out, but I know you've called me. God, I really don't know what this is going to look like, but I want to invest in your kingdom. If you do that, I promise you, you're not going to fail. You only fail when you bury it. You only fail when you don't use it. In Numbers chapter 13, the nation of Israel is longing to um, inhabit the land that's been promised to them. Numbers chapter 13, 12 spies go out and do a little reconnaissance work, right? And they go spy on this land that's been promised to them. And they come back and 10 of them say, no, this is too risky. We can't do it. 10 of them say, we, we saw, we saw, man, the, 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 the vegetation, the, the fruit, the produce. It's unbelievable. But we all saw some big dudes over there. In fact, we look like grasshoppers and they look like giants. Ain't going to happen. There's two guys that said, yeah, it's risky, all right. But it's the right move. Unfortunately, they chose uh, to follow what appears to be the majority. But whenever you go against God, you're always in the minority. And what happens? Those ten died. The whole crowd wanders around for 40 years and they chose no instead of yes. But, but here's, here's the problem with that. On the back side of this apparent risk was abundancy, was provision, was a land flowing with milk and honey, was big old taters and all types of grapes and anything else you can imagine it looked risky but the blessing on the backside the provision of God the promises of God it was there but they said no that's just too risky how about this Rahab took a risk hit some spies and landed in the family tree of Jesus I like my family tree, <laughs> but it's not quite compared to that one. How about this one? David took a risk, defeated a giant of a man, and is referred to as the man after God's own heart. How about Esther? Esther took a risk. Goes into the presence of the king, and an entire nation is spared. We could go on and on and on. How about Peter takes a risk, walks on water? Noah takes a risk, builds a boat, and what happened? His entire family is saved. Risking is dangerous, but not risking can be more dangerous. And I realize that there's a certain sense of fear that, that comes with this. 
But I believe you've got to ask yourself, what is that, that moment or what is that circle of influence that God has put me in? What is the arena that the master has placed me in? For some of you, that, that arena, it's the school that you're in. For some of you, it's the, it's the field that you compete on, the, the gym that you play in. For some of you, it's the house that you live in. For some of you, it's the office where you go every single day. You've got to discover where is that arena that God has he's given me a resource placed me in an arena and now I'm a little scared because this is really risky but I realize that that the master has invested in me and now it's my turn to take that investment and to do something with it because it's not my kingdom it's his he's invested in me for a reason. Um, I ran across this quote and I have no idea who said it. But it was not ah, It's good though. One thing I know is that Jesus didn't die so that we could have comfortable little fellowship that makes no impact on the community. He's invested in you He's invested in me. He's invested in us. Why? So that we can make an impact on the community that we've been strategically and sovereignly placed in. The master has gone, but the master's coming back. He's coming back. And I can't speak for you. I hope I can. But when he comes back, I want to be found as diligent, as active, as, as, as moving in the right direction as I can with the investment that he's made in my life. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to squander what he's given me away. Because in the circle of influence that I live in, there's somebody. There's multiple people that need to know that Jesus loves them, that needs to know that they matter, that needs to know that what God has done in my life, He can do in theirs. He's given me the resources. He's given me the talents. And now it's time to invest in Him with the investment that he's made in me. And so I want to look at this two ways and I'm done. I want to look at this first of all personally. You, me, personally. How are you using the resources that he's given you? Once again, your, your resources may be completely different from a person on the opposite side of the room. That is so irrelevant right now. I'm just asking you, what are you doing with what you have? Because He gives according to your ability. He's given you a talent, a resource. 
What kind of impact are you making for His kingdom? Because I'm just going to be transparent. Just like these dudes, you're going to stand before Him and you're going to give an account for what you did with what He gave you. Nobody wants to say, I squandered it. I want to say, look, look, here's what I've done with what you gave me. How do we look at it corporately as a body? Every one of you together. This, this is a body, right? This is a great faith family right here. How do you take the resources that have been entrusted in you, pull them together, and impact this community? coming together and here's two resources and here's two and here's five and here's three and here's one but we just pull them all together it's amazing amazing I'm an outsider it's amazing as I as I watch through social media and things of that nature and talked with Kevin how God is using you in a supernatural way to impact the community don't quit with the resources that he's given you. Because what happened here, these guys invested, and what happened, they got more back. Ultimately, that's what we want. We want the kingdom of God to multiply. Well, how do we do that? We take the resources, the talents that he's given us, and we give them right. Investing in his kingdom. He has invested in you. How are you investing for Him? Father, in Jesus' name, we are so thankful, Lord, that you, for some reason, invested in us. And God, I pray that the drive of our heart, God, the craving, the yearning, the longing is to say that a holy, righteous God who gives good and perfect gifts has given and invested in me. And now I don't squander it. But God, I want to invest back so that I can watch your kingdom grow. So that I can hear you say, well done, that good and faithful servant. So now, Lord, as we spend a little bit of time responding, may it begin by just personally examining and asking ourselves the question, what are we doing with what you've given us? And then maybe we think corporately, what are all of us doing together with what you've given us? God, I pray for the one that's buried it, that's sitting on it, that somehow, somewhere, the Holy Spirit of God will say, hey, I've given you that. Now quit sitting on it and put it to use. Because at the end of the day, when the Master comes back, we want to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.